Well, good afternoon, everybody. Harry Shree with you live, St. Louis, Missouri, ValleyHoopsInsider.com. Glad to be with you today. It is Selection Show Friday. What I mean is Sunday, we have the big Selection Show, and today we're going to talk a little bit about bracketology, how the teams are getting in, where they're getting seated, why they're getting seated, uh, with our great friend and expert in the field, Rocco Miller from Bracketeer.org. We bring him into the conversation. Rocco, you're like swamped these days, everything going crazy. And I called you up and said, Hey, let's do a show. And you said, ah, why not? <laughs> so yeah, I appreciate absolutely. I appreciate you joining us today. And, and uh, I just want to talk about a number of things, but for the people that visit our site, you know, we are, are a site that cover mid-major basketball in general, the Missouri Valley and Ohio Valley conferences in specific. And we like to whine because we have all these teams that are so good and they ought to be, they're deserving of whatever. Um, but before we, and so we campaign and we fight and all that, the, the, tell me this before we break down to kind of a little bit into what you do and where we see some of these teams going. Um, when I look at the new thing, the net used to be the RPI and different things, but the net seems to be the kind of the gold standard these days. Is there kind of a number in the net? Like if you're above X, you just ain't getting in barring winning your conference tournament. Uh, I, I think it's easy to slip into that mentality. I, I do my best not to uh, because I do think the net has more variables than the old RPI did. Um, you know, for example, just a couple of weeks ago, we had two teams uh, in the mid twenties or higher. Um, that would be West Virginia and Utah state. Um, and I thought, in that moment in time, if the, if we had to select a bracket, uh, neither of them were really deserving of selection um, for for very different reasons. Uh, West Virginia uh, had just way too many losses, and they didn't have the wins to outweigh them. Uh, they eventually got those. So so if you're a Mountaineer fan, don't worry, you're going to be fine. <laughs> uh, and then from from Utah State standpoint, I think this has been well discussed. You know, nationally, um, they don't have a win in that top quadrant. I'm not even trying to focus on the quadrants that much either. I, it's just, it, for me, it's about beating teams that are going to be in the tournament. And Utah mm -hmm. State got, you know, the win against Boise at home. They got the win against Oral Roberts, who will be in the tournament. But they didn't get any of those away from home, and they have a huge home court advantage. So very debatable for them to be in. Now they've gotten some help this week, and their numbers just keep skyrocketing. I think their net is number 18 today, uh, which is just insane. Um, but it tells me that we probably we probably won't see it this year because I do think those two teams will get in. Um, that one of these years we're going to see a team ranked as high as maybe 25 uh, not get in. Uh, just because, you know, theoretically you could go out, if you have a 30-game schedule, you could blow, you know, if you go 15 and 15 and your 15 wins, you blow teams out every time and you lose heartbreakers and all your losses, you're still not a winning enough team to get in, but your your net could be phenomenal. So, mm. uh I'm not. I'm not trying to get too dead set on on a certain benchmark, but obviously, uh, the, uh, the the NCAA owns the net tool, and I think it, there's a lot of credence to if you have an extreme team like Wisconsin in the '80s or something like that, they they want to maybe protect their tool a little bit. But I, I really don't think that comes up too much in the actual committee room. I think it's just the process is what it is. You, uh, I, we, you and I meet almost every time, uh, this time of year, almost every year, uh, because I think people need education. Number one, about what bracketologists do. People know about you. They know about Lenardi. They know about Jerry Palm. They know about others. Um, bracketologists are not, 
well, let me say, not say what you are not. Tell us what a bracketologist does. You're you're attempting to kind of predict what the selection committee is going to do, not what they should do or which team you think is better. D- did I say that correctly? Uh, you did, yeah. And I, I would say from my standpoint, I, I think there might be varying answers if you interviewed every single person that does this. Because um, I know there are people that maybe are, are metrics focused, like our our friend Eric Haslam, who does Haslam metrics. Mm-hmm. He, he does bracketology, but it's all based on what he thinks it should be. He doesn't really care what the committee thinks. <laughs> um, <laughs> and there's people like that out there. And I think there's value in that because sure. you especially if you're filling out a bracket, you can kind of see which teams are trending the right direction with a tool like his. Um, but I think the large uh, majority of us, um, you know, m- my particular goal is I want to have, I want to be able to provide uh, the communities and the, and the fans and wh- whoever's associated with any program going to the tournament, a realistic outlook of who they're going to play, where they're going to play and be able to back that up with all the whys. And so enable in order to do that, you have to really ingrain yourself with the process. Uh, so I, I serve on two different mock selection committees. Um, the first one uh, last weekend with uh, Tim Kruger from stadium uh, did a great job hosting that a lot of really great bracketologists on the, on that committee. Um, and then this week with my old friends at hoops HD, we do that every year. Um, and, and the reason I participate in that is because I think it's really important for a bracketology uh, for a person putting out brackets independently you need other people's opinions and know how these teams are going to get looked at and discussed. So I have to get out of my own head sometimes and listen to what other people think and then, you know, figure out what a, maybe a actual discussion in the committee room would go like. Um, so each team I look at, I try to figure out what's the worst part about them. What's the best part about them? You know, how do they compare to different teams? Cause that's ultimately how they're discussed. Um, and I think, I think sometimes that's lost on a lot of people that do do this you know, I think they just look at the numbers, make a decision and put it up there and nothing wrong with that. I just think there's some realistic things that might be missing uh, from some of those forecasts. And I try to make sure to cover every loose end that is possibly out there. Uh, I just stuck up the name of your website there, bracketeer.org. They can find out your great work there. Also, you and I talked before we came on, you're, you've kind of jumped in and, and been connected with a group called Field of 68. And uh, you guys have a kind of a bracketology show routinely. I think you're going to have one a little bit later today, but also tell us what you're going to be doing Sunday night. I think that's super exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So field of 68, um, if you haven't heard of it, it's owned by, uh, I believe Rob Doster, formerly of NBC and Jeff Goodman, formerly of ESPN. Uh, they've done a really good job through the pandemic to serve college basketball fans with all sorts of content. Um, you know, they have an after dark show as well that, comes in on satellite radio and and is live on YouTube and Twitter. Um, our shows are usually Mondays and Fridays, but this week we're doing more. Um, and Selection Sunday, we'll do that special. Glad you brought that up. Um, well, we're going to I'll be on there with one other bracketologist. And I'm sorry, I don't even know who I'm going to be with yet. I'm just <laughs> I just know I'm on there <laughs> so far. Uh, but we, we did it last year and we react live to all the selections. And that's actually a fascinating process. Um, because, you know, I came prepared for that last year and I basically had a, a list of all the teams. So I'm crossing them off as they announced them. And, um, I think my favorite part was when we got down to the last region and, uh, I realized certain teams weren't going to get in. There wasn't a spot for them. And then other teams a little surprised at where they landed seed wise. So, so some of that stuff before they announced it, if you like to just kind of, um, pick our brains and see how we're reacting. It's, it's kind of unique. And, um, you know, for all those that are diehard and love this process, it's, it's a good show for you. 
That'll be a lot of fun. That's Sunday night. While the while the live show is going on on CBS, these guys will be reacting online after the announcements, uh, maybe each bracket or each eight team group or whatever it might be. So do that. Uh, Field of 68. Uh, it's a great site. I, I get on that email every day and, and, and look at things that they're producing there. It, it, it's terrific. Uh, you have your number one seeds, Alabama, Houston, Kansas, Purdue. Not a shock for any of those. Um, and, and they've had great seasons. After you get past the first, I don't know, 8, 9, 10, 12, is that when it starts to get difficult? Well, I think the top 16, there's a little bit more of a structure just based on the fact that we had the bracket preview show from the real committee on February 18th. And we will, you know, this is the shortest amount of time, Harry, that we've seen uh, the show take place, that preview show. They've done it for six years now. uh, And the actual selection Sunday, which is March 12th, two days away. Um, there was only about three weeks worth of basketball uh, between the two dates. Um, so most of the teams, um, you know, it's really hard to move them up or down too much because we already have an idea of how the committee views them. Um, you know, we might have a, a situation with Baylor where they, they lost twice to Iowa State in the last week. You know, do they move off the two line and onto the three? You, you know, you I, I would think if we were starting fresh, um, it would be very tempting to move like a Gonzaga who looked very dominant in their last two wins over St. Mary's and all their other games to go up to a two seed. Um, but I think with, we know, we know now that Gonzaga started from the 15 position overall, uh, one of the lower, one of the lower four seeds just three weeks ago, it's really hard to move them all the way up two seed lines. I think, I think most of us feel free, feel, feel comfortable just leave them as a three. Um, so a lot of those types of decisions, you have to hedge more than, than others, just based on the fact that we have a really good idea of how they were thinking about these teams just three weeks ago. Um, so I think after that, it really, uh, the five seed line is where things start to get a little uh, more difficult because then it's uh, it's up to speculation. Because then you have to predict who's going to lose in that first round. Could fives always lose to twelves? I get it. The uh, hey, I wanted, to, yeah, I wanted to ask you. Um, <laughs> All these the 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 larger conferences are having their conference tournaments this weekend, yes. and it and it occurs to me, or it would be logical to me, to say that these tournaments don't mean a lot in terms of those seedings or making it other than winning the tournament, because they can't cram all that information in right at the last minute. Am I right about that? That seems logical to me. That doesn't mean I'm correct. Yeah, I think I think a lot of us had to learn that the hard way. Uh, a year ago, Harry, um, I think no, nothing more obvious than the SEC tournament where uh, Texas A&M, you know, I, I think everybody would agree they were on the outside looking in at the start of the week. But in that in that week, they had tremendous wins. They beat Arkansas in the semifinals to get to the championship, um, you know, played four days, excellent basketball, you know, and if you reassess their resume uh, at the end of Saturday night last year, uh, the night before the show, uh, I think it's very clear that they not only belonged in, but maybe even belonged above going to Dayton in the first four. Um, and of course, we know now Texas A&M was not included. They weren't even in the first couple of teams out. Um, and uh, Tennessee, the team that won that event, uh, they had a stellar resume. I think pretty clear that they should have been the last two seed. Um, still was a three seed below Duke. Duke, a team that lost to Virginia Tech on that Saturday. So again, it, it, they basically just diluted. Uh, it, the only way you could really explain it is if you go back and even you could look at my website that Saturday morning, uh, my, my actual bracket forecast Saturday was more accurate than my one on Sunday, just cause I had done some tweaking. Um, so I, I'm probably not doing that this year. I'm probably rolling with whatever I got tomorrow. 
uh, unless we have bid steal scenarios, you know, Oregon could win the Pac-12 tournament. Uh, there's some others out there. Conference USA is really up for grabs and only one team's guaranteed getting in. But uh, besides that, I think I think I'm going to be playing it safe in a lot of these decisions uh, based on what happened last year. And not only that, Harry, I think more years than not, if you look at the last decade or more, um, they, they tend to wrap up their process earlier and earlier um, for whatever reason. I, I know uh, after last night, that's probably the last real big day that that you can take into account before you start, you know, applying the bid steals that could could come up tomorrow. Yeah, it's amazing. All the stuff they have to factor in, the the numbers, the eye tests and all those kinds of things. And they're real humans. They're not just computers cranking out data. Uh, I want to talk about where teams end up and where how, how they end up being matched up. Uh, Southeast Missouri just won the Ohio Valley Conference Tournament. Uh, all the bracketologists are saying they're going to be at Dayton. They might be playing a different team based on different bracketologists. Uh, but like you mentioned, I think uh, – in your site today that they had to play a certain team because in the, if once they got down the road a little bit, they had to avoid Missouri and somebody else because it was a rematch or something like that. There's a whole lot of stinking stuff. Those guys have to think through and you have to think through to put out your bracket. Yeah. I mean, we'll see how uh, that plays out. So in 2023, it's actually a, a new policy. Um, and again, I think there's, it's not one of the stricter policies, but they are trying to avoid rematches in the second round, not just the first round. Mm. Uh, the first round rematches, that's been a rule for a very long time. And, um, you know, I, I think it makes it more exciting when you get to play a different team. And even if you do it in the whole first weekend. So I, I like where their head's at by putting that in. Um, I think it's going to help a lot with some of the other parts of the bracket where you have second round matchups uh, where you don't want to see the same two teams play again. Um, but here in their case, they'll have to play, of course, a game in Dayton before they would even have a shot to knock off the number one seed. To play and Purdue I, and, in your bracket, yeah. Right, Purdue in mine, yeah. So if you uh, – I don't know how seriously they're going to take it in the committee room just based on the fact that a 16's only beaten a one seed once. Um, but as long as they're following the rules, which is what I'm doing, uh, then, then that would be where Southeast Missouri um, – because right now I have both Missouri – uh, the Tigers and Iowa, the Hawkeyes as eight seeds. So they would um, technically need to avoid that pod. Um, and, and so that kind of shuffled the, the, the Red Hawks around and, and they got next to Purdue. So, so people accuse the committee every year of uh, Jimmy and, you know, rigging the system so that there's a cool storyline. Like for example, uh, <laughs> Matt, Matt Painter used to, uh, Matt Painter and uh, Brad Korn, the head coach at SEMO, uh, have connection because so many of the Matt Painter and those guys were Purdue guys and corn was with those same guys at Southern Illinois. And so there's the story you have, you have Iowa state and Drake playing each other in the opening round. So, Oh, little brother gets to play big brother. If that, if it comes out like that on Sunday night, people all over America are going to say, yeah, see they're rigging. They want cool storylines. Does that enter into that committee's brain at all? Uh, no, no, not necessarily. Um, you know, especially in a game like that, uh, you know, the only, the only thing I tend to have a little bit of skepticism is, you know, I, I do think perhaps like the Duke, Carolina, Kentucky, uh, maybe, maybe a handful of those big time blue blood schools, they might be a little bit more cautious with again, that's speculation. So that's not fair to put out publicly like fact, but you know, we do see sometimes those, those teams get taken care of a little bit extra um, just from, looking at it from afar, not being in the actual room. Um, but I think a, a matchup like Drake, Iowa state, that's just going to come together 
um, you know, by chance. And I, that's how it happened for me. Um, you know, Iowa State right now is my top five seed. So out of all the five seeds, they're in the, the pecking order first. And so once you have your seed list built, all 68 teams are ranked one through 68. Um, you get to the five seeds and you really just go. Uh, and that's an interesting um, part of the bracket because after you get through the top 16, then you start going sub-region first instead of the overall regional. Hmm. And Albany just ends up being the closest available site because it's pretty much all Albany. And I think there's one for Greensboro and then there's another one for Orlando. So from Iowa, um, the Albany site makes the most sense. Hmm. And so Iowa State went there uh, as their first choice. And you get down to the 12 seeds. And right now, my order is Charleston, Oral Roberts, and then Drake. But out of those three schools, Drake, of course, is the furthest north by quite a while, quite a ways. And it makes sense to put them in Albany. And that's just where they just happen to be matched up with Iowa State. The only reason it happened, it's not because um, I'm trying to make up a matchup or anything. So that could easily happen with the real committee if it stays in this pecking order, um, for sure. Iowa State, I would say, still has an outside chance of playing their way into the four seed line, especially since they're still alive. Uh, Drake is, uh, I'm, there's a, there's a sub-regional in Des Moines. I'm going to go there next week. And obviously they won't send the Bulldogs to their home home city. Uh, right. Right. So uh, talk to me about the, so Bradley is not going to be an NCAA tournament team. No. Uh, they were a low fifties net team before. I don't know where they are today, but they were a low fifties team before they lost to Drake last week. Um, and so we were talking about those net numbers earlier. Um, a team like Bradley has to, again, I don't want to make the net, the gold standard, but a team like Bradley has to be what in the thirties, forties, twenties to, to make the tournament. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily true. I, I, you know, I think the net is more there to sort your data. Now, obviously if you're a school like Bradley, you don't get the opportunities that power schools get. Um, you're having a nice net, maybe top 30 or 40 would, would get you maybe looked at more. Um, but I think it's always about your body of work and, you know, they, they can just as easy as they, they can see your net rec ranking, they can see your quad records as well. And they can see your, all your other metrics as well. So, um, you know, for me it, in the bubble area, I have 18 different categories I can see at one time on all teams and just do straight comparisons. And I think wow. if I have that and I built it on my own, I can't imagine what kind of technology they have in the room because heard, I've heard the system is really easy to use. Um, so, yeah, I, I think this is all scrutinized and looked at closely. You know, Liberty's a team that was ranked in the top 35 in net for a while, uh, but they had no wins. And so I, I didn't really care how high they got in the net. They weren't going to get in. Uh, and so, so it is, it, it always comes back to the same thing that almost every single committee chairman has said publicly on television, which is who did you play? Where did you play? And how did you do? And I think, especially when it comes to getting the right 36 at large teams, you have to ask that question on every single one over and over and over again. And this is not an easy bubble this year either. So hmm. I, I, I think, you know, that that's everything I, I do. I'm trying to guess what they're doing. It's not necessarily my own opinion, but that's the question I keep asking myself. Who did the most damage? And typically it comes down to who did the most damage away from home because everybody's good at home. And, and and that is something of what those quad numbers do tell us, correct? I mean, that yeah. that really, when when I was looking at the Missouri Valley teams, for example, 
they just had no chance, meaning their quad, they didn't have enough quad one opportunities. Even the championship game at the Valley Tournament last week was two teams in the 50s. So they were both playing a quad two game, which is great, but it's not a quad one game. So it wasn't going to move them much. Um, and talk about uh, this process. I told somebody, I said, well, maybe I put it on Twitter. I said, I'm going to have a Rocco on and ask him if every team from the big 12 is going to make the tournament. Every team from the Southeastern conference is going to make the tournament. Clearly they're not, but, but people that are following the teams I'm following, they just think there's this massive bias for those teams of the power conferences. And, and obviously they have more opportunities. And so there is that uh, unfair advantage. It's, but it's what it is, you know? And so uh, tell my Missouri Valley friends and Ohio Valley friends, why it's not an unfair advantage for, fill in the blank SEC school. And by the way, Hey, Missouri, yeah. what a year we're, 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 you know, I live here in St. Louis happy for the Tigers. Yeah. Great year. They, they definitely overachieved. They picked up some great wins that, that gets them in as a lock right now. So it's amazing to see in uh, coach Gates's first year, um, a, a guy I covered at Cleveland state last year. So um really happy for them, but yeah, in general, you know, I can totally understand where that perspective comes from. Cause I think I'm more of a, a mid to low major guy at heart first and I try to look at it through their eyes. I think there's so many unbelievable stories to tell. I think there's typically older, more cohesive teams at the mid and low major level, even if they don't have lottery picks or, or guys that go to the NBA. Um, they play super well as a team and they're fun to watch and uh, they can really overachieve. Um, and, I, and I get that's where the, the frustration in the Valley sits. I also think within the, uh, the net system, yeah, you know, it does make it really difficult for, you know, you look at like an Ohio State team that they were ice cold for two months and they still couldn't fall out of quad one. Um, you, we see an example like that out of the Big Ten, it seems like every year. A couple of years ago, Penn State had like six, I think there were six games under 500 and still in the top 45. So, I, I mean, that's pretty frustrating because the, some of those teams are teams that their their season's pretty much dead. And you're still giving teams credit from a quad perspective. Um, and I, I hope that committee members look at it the way I've, I've tended to look at it, which is try to ignore the numbers next to the name and look at the actual name and know which teams are going to be in the tournament and which teams are clearly not going to be in the tournament. Then you can start to weed out all the, you know, the extra fluff of quad mm. one or the extra, or, or maybe you'll find a good win down in like bottom of quad two, because you know, somebody like Pittsburgh or Wisconsin was buried down there. Um, you know, you'll find that stuff if you do your if you do your due diligence. Um, so my biggest mystery with it all is how deep do they go? And I hope I hope they at least go as, as far as I go, because then you you can actually see right through that stuff. And it's not as big of a deal. Um, but I do think I, I do feel for the Valley and the fans, because uh, in the old RPI system, they would have been afforded. Uh, probably more a chance to be a multi than they are now. Uh, I won't disagree with that, but I, I do think it's good that the quad system set up to favor road wins. If if anything, they need to tweak it even further. Uh, Cause I'll tell you a stat Harry, and it kind of blows my mind out of all quad ones in the uh, quad one wins this year in the, for the whole country, if you added them all up over half of those, uh, or sorry, over double of those happened on home courts. Uh, well, only less than half that amount happened on a road court um, just shows that even though they've made a, a big difference between road and home, they haven't made as big of a difference as they need to because um, road wins are gold. And so if you have them, 
um, it makes a huge difference. Uh, before we let you go, where do you think the most volatility is within your bracket heading for Sunday? What I mean is, what's what's the thing that's going to, whoa, I didn't see that happening, or something happens today or tomorrow in one of those conference tournaments that does make a big shift? Yeah, so that's a good question. I, I think right now that the, there's six spots, the last six spots, if there's no st stolen bids, um, are very difficult. Uh, I, I think there's reasons to be concerned for most of the teams I have there now. To, so today, it's not on the site yet, but it will be. Um, that The list of those teams are Providence, Pittsburgh, Arizona State, Utah State, NC State, and Rutgers, who just got eliminated. Um, and so I have them all getting in. The order of those are up for debate still, from my perspective. Um, I'm very concerned about both NC State and Providence. Um, Providence, I think a little bit of an edge just because they've got three marquee wins, but they were all at home. Uh, NC State, the more I look at them, the more it hurts my stomach. Um, they've, <laughs> they've, they've, they've just got nothing on the road that was uh, – I mean, they got Virginia Tech and Wake Forest road wins, not tournament teams. And they have so many uh, chances, and they, they lost three times to Clemson, who's not going to get in, in my opinion. Um, so on the outside, you know, I think this there's enough evidence to knock out Nevada and Wisconsin. So I would be surprised if you see either of those names get in. Um, Oklahoma State is a really interesting one. You know, obviously playing in the Big 12, they had 16 games against teams that will be in the field, and they only won four of them. Um, to me, you win 25% of those opportunities, that's – not good enough. Uh, so I think they should be out. But again, if any of those three get in, I'm going to have to revamp my own criteria. Um, and then a, a, a real wild card here for me, and I, I can't see them getting in, but I would be so happy if they got in. It would be uh, North Texas as an at-large. Uh, their net is up to 36. Um, you know, they don't have a quad one win, so I don't think it's going to really catch anybody in the committee room to, to try to push for them. Uh, but obviously that program, I thought they belonged last year and the way they're playing right now. I mean, they're, they might just win that thing anyway. Um, that, that would be a pleasant surprise. I, I, I don't know about this team. I haven't looked at this team hard. Final question. And then I'll let you go. I know you got tons to do. Uh, Vanderbilt loses their center, Liam Robbins to injury. And so yeah. fill in the blank team. They're, they're a seven seed. I'm making up the team. Uh, and their star or a star player gets hurt. Does the committee take it, that into account and say, oh, well, now they should be an eight. Now they should be a nine. Or no, their body of work says they're a seven. We're going to leave them there. Uh, it matters. Yeah. I mean, they discuss it. In fact, on the on the bracket preview, a couple examples. Uh, one, uh, you know, after they released the top 16, they asked who would be the next teams in order. And they they didn't give the order, but they gave it alphabetically. And two of the teams they listed were Creighton and TCU. Both teams that have uh, significant injury uh, backgrounds, uh, you know, TCU's bad losses came when Mike Miles was out. Uh, obviously, they're a great team when they're healthy. And uh, Creighton lost six in a row when Kalkbrenner, you know, he played a couple of those games, but he had mono and, and it's up, mm -hmm. up for debate how, how effective he was in a couple of those losses. And St. Louis so, guy. We love him. Yeah, he's great, great player <laughs> and difference maker. So, um, the committee already talked about that. And I think what they're most interested in is what are you going to bring to the dance uh, when it comes to that? So if, if it's uh, like Tennessee right now, Zakai Ziegler is, is done. And, you know, I think everything resume wise and metrics wise, you just leave Tennessee as a three seed where they had them before. We're going to get to see Tennessee play again today. So that should help a little bit. 
But, uh, you know, that could be enough to where if they if they make the determination that Tennessee's not as good, they could easily drop them to a four. You know, there's all sorts of that conversation for seeding. Um, but I do think when you when you're getting down to those last spots, you've just got to make the right decision for what they've earned. Um, and then seeding's a whole different conversation. And that's that's why I think a team like Pittsburgh, even though they're in my last six there, um, I think they belong because they, they did do the most road damage out of all those teams. But you could easily like start to slot them down towards the bottom once you've got them in. And that's why the Panthers could very well uh, land in Dayton. Soraco Miller, Bracketeer.org. You can also hear him on that Field of 68 show later today and probably tomorrow and for sure on Sunday night. Hey, we really appreciate your time in the midst of your busiest time of your like life and squeezing us in. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Harry. I appreciate it. It's fun to come on with you. That's Rocco Miller, Harry Schrader with you. ValleyHoopsInsider.com. Remember, since you've been there, make it a better place. Have a great weekend, everybody, and we will be talking to you all throughout next week. Have a great day.